Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Make sure you check out their website and all of their natural medicine products, abotanicalcompany.com, or you can give them a call at 405-458-9699. They are all about helping people live better lives, and I would just urge you to Take a look at their products, find out what their products do, and how they can benefit you on a daily basis. So once again, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City, abotanicalcompany.com, or 405-458-9699. All right, Eric G. is going to join me this afternoon, and we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, Obviously, the Chris Paul trade for the Oklahoma City Thunder yesterday, and questions about what's next for OKC. Do we see Steven Adams moved? What's the roster going to look like? How is Sam Presti going to parlay all these draft picks into actual foundation pieces, I guess, for the Oklahoma City Thunder? And and I think a, a really good question uh, came up in this thing as far as Chris Paul and the legacy. Chris Paul only spends one year in Oklahoma City, and I think it's fair to have the discussion, does Chris Paul leave a more lasting legacy with the players that remain here than maybe any one of the former MVP caliber players did in their time in Oklahoma City. So uh, really interesting conversation there. And then as far as Bedlam goes, we are all ready for Saturday. I can't wait to watch Oklahoma, Oklahoma State Saturday night. College game day going to be in Norman. This is a monumental Bedlam matchup. And and some things that are interesting, I think, at play in this matchup Oklahoma State comes into the season with a veteran team, a team that is equipped maybe more than than others have been in the past to make a real run at a conference title. And when you consider Oklahoma retooling in so many areas, losing their first two conference games, it kind of set up better than it ever has for Oklahoma State to maybe take the reins as far as the Big 12 Conference. And now all of a sudden you reach this point in the season where the defense is still outstanding, but you have so many offensive issues that Oklahoma is actually a favorite in this game. I kind of feel like there is more pressure on Oklahoma State to win Bedlam this year than than I, I think we ever see with not only a team that's the betting underdog, but a team that's on the road. It's crazy to me that the visitor and the underdog to me kind of feels like it has more pressure to find a way to get this one done than the favorite and the home team. And it's just a really interesting dynamic. But again, I think it plays into the fact that Oklahoma is so young. They're as beatable as they've been since probably before Baker Mayfield was in Norman. Uh, A team that had lost some games early, young in a lot of places, and an Oklahoma State team that has so many veterans. Probably the best defense I've ever seen in the history of Oklahoma State football. Uh, This is just, uh, what an interesting game. And I can't wait. Obviously, the winner puts themselves in great position for the Big 12 championship game, and uh, this is going to be a ton of fun on Saturday. Not to mention, Mike Steely and I will have pregame coverage on Saturday, two hours before kickoff. I'll tweet the link at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, so make sure you check that out. We will uh, talk all things Bedlam-related two hours before kick at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter for that link. All right, let's get to today's conversation uh, on the Colby Daniels podcast. Eric G. from the Tulsa Animal joins me next. My guest every Tuesday is Eric G. Eric, how are you today? What's going on? Oh, I am doing fantastic. I just got a message uh, from my fraternity brother, Danny Mahaffey, right? And, well, I mean, look, we're at Bedlam Week, right? But we've had a lot going on in the NBA. And he is a diehard Houston Rock- Rockets fan. I was trying to make him feel better about Trevor Ariza coming back because the Robert Covington trade to Portland is bringing Ariza back for another spit in Houston, 
and I get the, I get this message. I effing hate my life so much. Our Rocco, Robert Covington, was the one guy I really wanted to keep in all of this as the Rockets blow up. So I don't know. I mean, I think we need to be very careful here over the next uh, hour or so while we talk because my friend could be on suicide watch. <laughs> so I just got to be careful about that as, as the Rockets go for what seems to be kind of an unexpected rebuild. I mean, you knew it, it, it kind of hit the ceiling last year after they beat the Thunder and, and they got knocked out of the playoffs. But I don't think Rockets fans were expecting this to fall apart as qu- as quickly as it has over the last few weeks. Yeah, look, I mean, I think part of this is, you know, the Russell Westbrook situation, clearly unhappy with his role in Houston, and that was, I think, even magnified with the way that it looked in the play- in the playoffs and the postseason, and I think that's just a Russell Westbrook problem. I don't think that's fixed anywhere else, uh, but he's going to want to, you know, if, if he's going to go through that, he's going to want to have the ball in his hands 90% of the time. The James Harden thing is interesting because I don't think they move him but knowing that he's not happy there is only going to create, I think, an even worse atmosphere. That thing's a complete dumpster fire. And, and you're right. He's right about Covington. Covington isn't a star by any means, but he's just one of those types of players that's so versatile that helps you win championships. Every championship team has a Robert Covington type of guy on their roster where he does the small things. He hits big shots along the way. He plays defense. Um, you know, size, athletic, versatility. He is what you're looking for in today's NBA outside of, you know, your your two or three all-star caliber players. He is, uh, but I mean, think about this for a second. Everything that you just said about him being that, that added piece to the puzzle, if you're going to do a teardown, those aren't guys you can build around. Those are guys that you bring in later in the process to help get you over the hump. So, if you can get draft capital, if you can get salary off the book, if you can bring in somebody like a Trevor Ariza that also kind of falls into that missing piece of the puzzle category and then spin him for even more draft capital, it now gives you a little bit more room to find those types of guys that you can build around. And that's what the Oklahoma City Thunder are doing right now with the trade of Chris Paul yesterday and the supposed trade of Dennis Schroeder, which hasn't become official yet. I mean, I guess at this point, it's still just, it's still just Woj reporting that there's an agreement in place, but the trigger hadn't been pulled on it. The Thunder have a lot of those guys, like you're talking about, like Robert Covington. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is one of those guys. Versatile. Darius Baisley can develop into one of those Robert Covington-sized guys but they don't necessarily have the focal point of the organization to build around. And I got to think that if I'm Sam Presti, I'm sitting there with two draft picks, Steven Adams, Shea Gildas Alexander, Danny Green, Ricky Rubio now, uh, Kelly Oubre. I've got, I've got guys that people would want that I can, I've got guys and assets that people would want that I could now trade and move up in the draft. And I hope that's what he's thinking. And if it means that Shea Gildas Alexander, gets traded either this year or next year and the Thunder get better for it, I'm all for it. Because right now, I I just don't see that. I don't see the face of the organization on this team. And I know a lot of people want to dump it on Shea Gilgis-Alexander's feet, but I don't think he's that guy. He's not Russell Westbrook. He's not Kevin Durant. Heck, he's not Chris Paul. 
the Thunder need that guy, and it seems like that guy is going to be found through the draft, not through a trade with anyone at this point. Yeah, look, I think with SGA, I, I absolutely believe there is still a pretty large ceiling there, and I think he is still capable of being considerably better than he's been to this point. But to your point about not being the guy, I mean, at some point, his game is going to have to develop into a more aggressive approach if we're going to put him on that sort of you know franchise-type player throne. Uh, but I would also say this. You have a Chris Paul. You have a Dennis Schroeder. He's a natural point guard playing off the ball a lot in Oklahoma City, and he's learning behind two veteran point guards. I'll be curious to see how he responds this year. I'm not willing to say it's just not going to happen for him. I think that year under Chris Paul probably did amazing things for his mentality and his overall IQ, and a lot of that, again, is, I think, deferring to Chris Paul while Chris Paul's still on the roster. You take Chris Paul out of the equation, and you say, all right, kid, you're up. This is on you now. That's when I think he can start using the things that he learned from Chris Paul, putting those into game-type situations. And I think this year is when we find out maybe if SGA is that guy. But, uh, you know, again, I, I understand the people that are maybe cautious about throwing him into that category. And, and the bottom line is, I, I mean, is he an all-star caliber player or even close to that right now? The answer is no. And, and there have been plenty of guys like Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker that it doesn't take very long to understand they are a franchise-type guy. So, um, again, I think he can be better. Uh, it's fair to say what you're saying, that, that maybe he's not an, an all-star-type guy, a guy you build around. He is a nice piece regardless. And, yeah, the Thunder are in rebuild mode, so you're absolutely looking for whoever might be that next guy. Hey, well, and I don't know that that next guy is necessarily in this draft unless you can move all the way up to number one and get LaMelo Ball. I don't know that that guy exists now, but he might be there in two or three years, and you certainly have enough capital to put yourself in position to make to make a deal to get that guy. Or, I mean, there is a chance. I mean, if you're looking at this year and what the Oklahoma City Thunder could look like, they're probably not a team that's going to make the playoffs, so you would think that they're, they'd be in much better draft position anyway uh, coming up a year from now. But it's for Sam Presti, I think he's got to feel a lot of freedom right now because you just don't have the restrictions that you did, <laughs> that, 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 that you were having with, with all these these big contracts. And I kind of wonder if you look at the thing, if you look at the way Houston is doing things right now, does Presti not regret just tearing everything down once Kevin Durant left? What, what, does he regret not starting this process sooner? Because it seemed that he knew all along that there was a limit to what the Thunder was going to be able to achieve without Kevin Durant. And does he feel that maybe he made some mistakes signing Russell Westbrook to the Supermax, training for Paul George, et cetera, that, you know, sits sit them back a few years in the rebuilding process and would it have been better for all of us to just go ahead and press the reset button sooner? You know what? That's an interesting point. I, I think he did the right thing. I, I think that when you had Russell Westbrook at that time, and again, it, it, it's clear to see at this point in 2020, Russell Westbrook is who he is. He's not going to change. Uh, that's just the player he's he's going to be. And and to me, 
that's disappointing to a degree because when Kevin Durant left, I think there was a faction of the fan base that, that to your point, was like Russ is never going to be a, a number one guy on a winning team, on a championship caliber team. That's just not the kind of player he is. For me, I was willing to see how he was going to evolve and give him a little bit of time, I think, in that new role to evolve, and he never did. And, and so now we're looking at this Russell Westbrook in Houston that you know wants to be in, a, in an OKC-type situation, and there are only a few of those options in the NBA, and they're all on really bad teams. So the one thing that if Presti had done that, you rob Oklahoma City of the Russell Westbrook MVP year, you rob Oklahoma City of experiencing that triple-double season that was the MVP year. You rob Oklahoma City of having a year with Paul George playing at an MVP caliber level. You rob Oklahoma City of Chris Paul playing at an MVP caliber level for a season. And and look, who knows what you end up getting in return, but I would say with the four years that have passed or however long it's been now, they got quite the haul. And, and again, 17 first-round picks until 2027 is the number right now. So, I don't know. I, I Even even in hindsight, I don't know that if I was Sam Presti, knowing what I know now, that I would do it any differently. Well, it's it certainly, I mean, if you're Clay Bennett, you, you certainly are going to give Sam Presti a big pat on the back because of, all the, because of all those things that you talked about. I mean, it kept people in the arena. And, you know, Thunder tickets were, were still a pretty hot item to, to come by in the last three years and people certainly were having a lot of fun watching the team. And the, and the one thing Clay Bennett knows being a native Oklahoman is this is a college football market. So if you're going to compete for those entertainment dollars, you better have reasons for people to come out to the peak. And eventually, I mean, look, if you've ever followed pro sports, you know, eventually you get to the suck years. Well, now those are upon the Oklahoma city thunder, or at least it seems like it's upon the Oklahoma City Thunder. And fans are starting to realize what it means to be a professional market. And do the fans stick with Oklahoma City over these next few years? Especially, I mean, with there being very, I mean, probably being very limited people inside the arena, uh, at least for at least for this season, you know, where is, where is the interest level for fans? And it's very important that fans understand that now, even though the Thunder may not be what they what they were with Durant and Westbrook or with Westbrook and George or when Carmelo Anthony was here, you still have to go out and support him. You still have to you still have to be in position where Clay Bennett says, "Hey, we're okay here," and doesn't start looking at a market like Las Vegas where he's like, "Well, I can sell it off, make some money myself, and somebody can go have more success." in that market. And, and and that's always got to be in the back of fans mind is that, look, you're lucky to have them. Some very, you know, extenuating circumstances got the thunder here, hurricane, uh, people not wanting the team in Seattle, et cetera. So you, you, you've got to appreciate what you got. And that in, a, in and of itself becomes a very interesting conversation because, there are still some people who were upset over the stance that the players took down in the bubble, um, kneeling for the national anthem and, and, and doing protests. So this is this may be. I mean, what we're looking at right now is the most critical year in Oklahoma City Thunder history, as far as where the fan interest is, and hopefully the fan interest stays as, as rabid as it has been since since they uh, got to the city in uh, 2008. Here's what I think we learned last season 
this is, you know, this is a college town. This, uh, the state, for that matter, is a college state. I mean, they, you know, everybody here appreciates their college athletics. And I think there was a certain level of disappointment going into this season, understanding that this team had zero chance to win an NBA championship. But fans fell in love with this team for one reason. They played their asses off every night. Like, you never left the arena. You never walked away from your television after the Thunder played, feeling like they could have done more. Whether they made the plays or not, you felt like from an effort standpoint, they left it all out there. They gave everything they had. Sometimes it it resulted in a win, and sometimes everything they had wasn't good enough to get it done. But I think you can live with that. When you lose knowing that your team did everything in their power to win, it's a little bit easier to stomach. And and when you go back, you mentioned the the team with Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. That was, I, I think, one of the biggest frustrations for the fan base that season was on a nightly basis you saw these guys play this game and it was an ugly game and and it just it always felt like they came up short and it always felt like they could have done so much more and they could have played harder on defense and they could have played smarter and done all the I mean it just felt like there was so much more there that they weren't getting to and I you know again that was very visible in the playoff series and all of a sudden, again, you just bring back that collegiate feel with this team this year. A bunch of underachievers that nobody gave a chance and fought their asses off, and I think fans appreciate that. So here's where Sam Presti, I think, is the perfect GM for Oklahoma City, especially right now. Presti's a high-character guy. That's that's what, you know, we always kind of laugh at this idea that Presti wants to bring in Presti guys and people that are going to be good organizational fits. Uh, but, you know, this year I think that's more important than ever because he's going to look for guys that are going to do just that. They're going to come out and play their asses off every night. And I think if the Thunder are delivering that product, despite the win-loss record, the fan base is going to be engaged. And look, you may lose some people, but people appreciate guys playing hard. They do. Well, the the Oklahoma standard. Um, and, And the Thunder so far have been very lucky with everybody that they brought in. You mentioned that character issue. There's only been, I can think of like one incident where a, a guy was accused of something and, and he was like automatically dismissed. And that was, you know, that was early on in the days when you and I first started working was together. That, was that DeAndre um, Liggins? At, yeah, yeah. Back at, back at, at, at an unnamed radio station, yeah. we were working together and it was one guy and he was gone almost immediately. And, there were some issues, you know, some interesting things with Kendrick Perkins' wife, but nothing too big. I mean, for the most part, it's been a pretty model organization. Um, you know, James Harden, well, and that's the thing with James Harden, fans have got to understand this, is there were always those rumors out there about James Harden and how much he liked to visit the strip club. And there were always the rumors that that did not sit well with management, especially when he was visiting them in Miami during the finals and all those, those things kind of led to him getting ushered out of Oklahoma city and, you know, brought up the argument, brought up the argument. Well, Hey, I mean, do, do you care if they're good character guys, as long as you win, but Presti didn't understand that for, for conservative as, as the Oklahoma city market is, yeah, you better have good guys and, and fans, even though they don't necessarily know what goes on behind closed doors or in somebody's house, they want to feel like they are rooting for good guys, guys that they represent guys that won't embarrass them with their actions off the court. 
And so far, they've, they've been blessed with that. And that's why they took to a guy like Chris Paul, because even though they may not have liked him when he, when he wasn't, when he was a member of the Clippers or a member of the Rockets, he came in here and gratiated himself to the fan base and is so eloquent in his speak and comes across as such a, a really good individual. They couldn't help but fall in love with it. And that's, you have to continue to have that. I mean, Russ, they kind of forgave Russ. Had Russ not been the, the dynamo that he is, the way he treated Barry Trammell would have eventually got old because Barry Trammell's an Oklahoma treasure. And people here respect Barry Trammell. And it's not just the folks in the media. A lot of fans respect him. Barry's that type of guy that'll talk to anyone. He said that Barry, Sw- Barry has that Barry Switzer thing where, where he can go and talk to a random individual and make him feel like he's a friend and he's known him for years. And had Russ not been doing all his, you know, racking up all his individual honors, people would have gotten kicked off at him a little bit sooner uh, about that. But because he was an incredible player, they were willing to forgive him and, and move on and yeah. maybe even take sides against Barry. But for the most part, fans have been been very spoiled around here with the type of character guys they had. And it was only when KD left, it was only when KD left that they realized that, that the dude is kind of weird. Well, I mean, he was was weird all along. He just liked it because he was because he was wearing orange and blue. He was always a strange guy. Well, that kind of speaks to the the job that Sam Presti and Scott Brooks did while in Oklahoma City, because look at look at Kevin Durant and how he's thought of now. Look at Russell Westbrook and James Harden, for that matter. And yeah, I mean, I think the majority of the NBA kind of views all those players as divas to a degree. And on some level, maybe it's it's differing degrees with each of them, hard to deal with. Yeah. And, and Durant, Durant, Durant seems to be the hardest of all of them to deal with. You say diva. Um, diva applies, you say that word, it tends to apply a little bit more to, to Russ and the Harden. Durant is, I, you know, Durant is like a – he's like a cross. Like if you took Bill Walton, Ron Artest, and Dirk Nowitzki, and the other guy I can think of, and you, you rolled them into one, that's who you get with Kevin Durant. <laughs> um, Durant is – I mean, he is on – he is on another level with the way he thinks, or, or he's locked in another room with the way he thinks. There is, I mean, there is that guy that is, you know, really driven to win, uh, you know, play hard. He, he, he wants championships, but he's also this guy who never seemed really comfortable in his own skin, and he's got this whole esoteric. He's a very complex individual, and that probably the nicest way to put it about Kevin Durant where he doesn't like the barbs coming his way but he likes to bow up when they do and act like a tough guy there are layers there and for Sam Presti there had to be days where he went back to his office and just shut the door and thought man I've got to hire the world's greatest psychologist to unravel this guy (laughs) 
it's bizarre, man. It's bizarre. Wouldn't you love to see a reality show where it was just Kevin Durant getting therapy? I would watch that. I would pay good money to watch the world's greatest psychiatrist and psychologist give Kevin Durant therapy because, man, I want to know what's in there. Man, I, I, feel, I have enough of my own issues to, to want to jump into that <laughs> rabbit hole, to be honest with you. I would, dude, I honestly, put that, put that on Netflix. I am binge-watching that because I want to know what makes this guy tick. I covered him for three years. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny like because... I have no, no better understanding of him then than I do now. He just he fascinates the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, without a doubt. Or something. Without a doubt. It, I, it, you know, I, I don't know that we'll ever see a scenario in the NBA again for as long as we're alive where a team for three consecutive years pulls Durant, Westbrook, Harden, three future MVPs, I mean, scoring titles. Like, I... I, I that's just such a unique situation. And, you know, all those guys in their own right are, are Hall of Famers, without a doubt. But what's so interesting to me is the fact that, you know, Durant moves on and, and or Harden is first to go, then Durant moves on. Russ is the last man standing. By the time Russell Westbrook was traded, you know, I think most of the fan base was, was pretty okay with it by that point. But when you look at the one season that Chris Paul spent in Oklahoma City, and I'm not talking about his ability on the floor. I'm talking about the impact that is left when he walks away. I don't know that, that it's even debatable that he left a bigger impact on and, and legacy on what this team is and, you know, the players that he leaves behind, who they ultimately become than any one of those three guys. He is, he was the perfect thunder. He, he was the, the perfect, he was the he is the picture perfect. I mean, if you could carve out anyone, like if Sam Presti had a list of things that would have made that, that would make up the the perfect player for this organization, Chris Paul would check every single one of those boxes. And Paul put himself in a, in a position where whether he likes it or not. He's a guy they're going to want to be a part of the organization in the future when his playing days are done. Yeah, why would you um, not? How, you know, how, however, however that looks, whatever role it's in, he's a guy you you want to bring back. And what'll be interesting to see is, and you you would never think this, but for a guy that only played in a city one year, fans are going to claim him as their own. Most people they would just. Yeah, brush off. He was here for a year. It was great. It was nice to have him around. No, nah, this city loves Chris Paul, and they will always love Chris Paul. And when he comes back in, in the Phoenix Suns play, um, not this year, but the year after that, when hopefully we can have people back, there is no doubt he is always going to get a standing ovation and, and get an extremely warm welcome. Absolutely. Um, more, so than, more so than Paul George ever will. Um, even though fans didn't hate him while he was here, and most fans aren't mad that he asked to be traded. Um, and honestly, his his cheers will, will rival Russell Westbrook. They won't be as loud and as boisterous because Russell's here longer, but they will be as close to that level as anyone else ever got. I mean, Absolutely. It, 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 people, are, people aren't happy with Chris Paul leaving. They understand what's going on. But they're not happy because it was just, man, we just like him. Yeah. We just like him. And 
Paul for everything that he is, and you think about what his career has become, the biggest impact Chris Paul has ever made on the NBA is becoming their social conscience over the last few years and being so vocal and so well-spoken about social issues that when he speaks, you want to listen. You really do. And and that that's going to go a long way in Phoenix. It's going to go a long way in him helping that organization be successful. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with their their cap room because they certainly have enough to make uh, to make some moves and make themselves better, just hopefully for his sake. Phoenix can be good enough to have themselves in position in the next couple of seasons to play for an NBA championship or at least a shot at the Western Conference title. And that that's where you, you almost flip the coin because the West is the West is showing no sign of not being the deeper of the two conferences over the next five years, even with the Lakers and the Clippers having some tough decisions to make here after this next season. Yeah, I mean, look, I think uh, with the job that he did this year in Oklahoma City, the leadership that he showed and how he elevated everybody's game, uh, I expect that to be the same situation in Phoenix. I mean, you're talking about Devin Booker, who's still a very young player. DeAndre Ayton's a young guy. Uh, Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson are both young guys. Chris Paul is going to make all those guys better, and this was a Phoenix team that went on a tear in the bubble. Um, I, I don't think they're the favorite by any means, but I think they're going to be considerably better with Chris Paul at the helm, and and who knows how good Devin Booker becomes. I mean, Devin Booker, I think, was on his way to becoming one of the premier players in the NBA without Chris Paul and really being the focus of everybody he plays against. When you add Chris Paul to that equation, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'll be really interested to see where Devin Booker is this year and how high his his game ultimately becomes elevated because, again, it's not like he's challenging Chris Paul for the leadership role. That's still going to be Chris Paul's position within that team. Chris Paul's going to teach all those guys how to be professionals and how to show up every day and work hard, a lot like he did with Oklahoma City. But Devin Booker, from a talent standpoint, is considerably better than anything Oklahoma City had last year. And when you, take a, when you add the professionalism of Chris Paul on top of taking some of that pressure within a game away from Devin Booker, I think the sky's the limit. Oh, yeah. And I, you look at what Chris Paul has become. Chris Paul, is, his new nickname, if it's not already there, should be Yoda or Obi-Wan. <laughs> I mean, where essentially he just goes in and he molds young guys like Shea Gilgis Alexander and Devin Booker to become the players that, that he knows that they can be. He teaches them how to be a leader how to look for certain things on the court, how to make sure that your teammates stay involved, that even though you may be the face of the organization, these guys can't feel like second-class citizens to you. They have to feel like they're, they're involved in the process, especially when you have guys that are, that are future Hall of Famers on your team. they got to feel like they're contributing because if they're not – when you're the status, this was always the issue with Carmelo Anthony here in Oklahoma City and really throughout his career, which is Carmelo's not the type to go chase a ring. He's not the type to go and sit on the bench and play for five minutes, you know, a night, just to get that piece of jewelry. He has to feel like he had a part in it, that when that story is written, while he may not have been the biggest part, he was a significant part of it. And Chris Paul can teach Devin Booker how to make guys like DeAndre Ayton feel like, dude, I cannot do this without you. Yeah. And 
Paul will part that with him, and he did that with Shea Gildas Alexander. So, I mean, the one thing you have going for the Thunder right now is that you've got all these young guys, and while there may be confusion as to where the organization's going and everybody's probably looking around at each other wondering who's going to be here in the next couple of years, and if you're not nailed down to the floor, are you a guy that, that could potentially be traded? The one thing that Paul has put in these guys' mind is, Let's go out and do what people don't expect us to do. They don't expect us to win. And there is a very tight bond with these guys, probably tighter than the one you saw with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. Um, certainly certainly a, a tighter bond than, than Kevin and Russ had after, after James left. I mean, the one thing about Oklahoma City, I mean, they are tight-knit. That is a tight-knit group. That, that's going to live, that's going to ride or die with each other. The question is, is if it's not successful within the first 20 games of the season, do, do they lose that? That'll be the only thing without Chris Paul there to kind of be the glue holding it together. Do these young guys start losing faith, faith in each other? And that'll be, that'll be worth paying attention to. Yeah, over and, and, these next few months. And look, it's, it's going to be a new locker room. There are going to be new pieces, significant pieces uh, that, that, you know, play a role in that. So I, you know, I, I not only think that's a possibility, I think it's, it's very likely if, if they're not playing well, that, that, that becomes the situation. With, the, with this team, if you're looking, if you're looking right now as it's constructed, and let's just assume that Kelly Oubre is going to stick around for uh, a few weeks, uh, if, if he's not traded or maybe the whole year, is he the guy that takes, is it him or Shea that takes the last second shot? I think it's Shea still, but I, I really like Ubre's game. And, you know, we were talking about Robert Covington earlier being that kind of like missing piece type of guy. I think Kelly Ubre's a similar type of guy. I think he's he gives you so much versatility in what he brings to the table. He's long, athletic, uh, can defend multiple positions, decent scorer. Like he is. He is what everybody in the NBA wants outside of, you know, getting your star players. He, he just, he can do so many things for you. The, the, man, you just, the one, the one place where the Thunder got rooked on this deal is that you just wish his contract situation and Rubio's contract situation were reversed. I mean, Oubre is that rare combination you only get in the NBA of experience and youth. And it's really the only only sport that you find. Well, I guess you could find that in baseball and hockey to a, a smaller extent. But God, he's on an expiring deal. And when when first you get like, oh, Kelly Oubre, this is a guy that's yeah, all right. Now you got your replacement for, yeah. for Danilo Gallinari. Oh, he's on an expiring contract. Well, you know, it, it's hard to imagine that if you keep him around for a year, that he's gonna, you know, he's gonna stay and you know stay as a free agent. Well, so look at what Houston got for Covington. To move him. I, I mean, I, I there's no doubt in my mind, Oklahoma City can move Oubre and get assets. I mean, again, like Covington got, they got a haul for Robert Covington. And and look, it was a good deal for yeah, Portland because Portland's in a position to win now. But, you know, I, again, I think Kelly Oubre could be that guy for a lot of teams. And I think Oklahoma City is just going to add to their arsenal of assets. Yeah, they are. And that, that, that's what Sam Presti wants to do right now. And 
the thing you have to remember, though, as good as as good as the future may look, with all the assets you've got, you got to turn those assets into something. You got to turn those assets into into winning basketball, and not just winning basketball, but a level that says there is a shot for you to compete for a championship. Otherwise, why did you make all these moves? Why did you, why did you send Chris Paul off when maybe? The Thunder couldn't win a championship, but at least they were fun to watch and they were winning a lot of basketball games. So Presti, for as much as the fans love him now and have bought him the end Sam we trust, well, this is where the clock really starts ticking on him because now he's got to show that with all these assets, the Thunder can actually do something with him. And he needs to show that within the next, three years there needs to be yeah, a bona fide super, a bona fide superstar in the organization on a rookie contract or there needs to be some peak, uh, enough players of all-star caliber where you can get by without a superstar but you better i you're he has really put the organization in the hands of the scout and himself to evaluate talent and the other thing that, that, that Presti is going to have to be aware of, and it's probably a little bit outside his comfort zone, is that Mark Dagnall, you don't see him making that connection with the players, or you don't feel – I mean, the minute you feel that Mark Dagnall is not the guy to get you to a level that you think you should be at, then you've got to pull the trigger. You, you, you can't be nice about this at all. I mean, this is – you're under the gun now. You're under the gun now more than ever. And in the next three years, if the Thunder aren't any better than what they are this year, oh, there's going to be hell to pay. Or if, if people can't if people can't get a sense that they're going to be better, then you're going to see Sam Presti come under fire. And this is, this may be the first time that you ever hear Thunder fans clamoring to get rid of him. And I, I think we've been there. I mean, after Durant left, I think people were there. Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about that after Russell Westbrook's MVP season. If if Presti wasn't going to put anything around him, were they just going to lose Russ to free agency? And, you know, I, I think he was feeling the pressure at that point, and that's why he went and got Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, and, and, and he, he did. And, and, and I he stepped outside of his comfort zone then, I'm not sure he does that anymore now. Because I, I, I would bet if, if you were to talk to him five years from now, six years from now, those are probably decisions that he somewhat regrets. Pull, pulling those, those guys in. Now, you know, with Carmelo Anthony, you were able to get Dennis Schroeder. With Dennis Schroeder, you are able to make this trade with the Lakers that might get you even more draft capital. And Danny, I mean, you're getting Danny Green, and Danny Green's a missing piece for somebody certainly out there. But I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that Presti, if he could do it all over again, would do things the, the exact same way. I'd be surprised if he would. I would have. I mean, I, I thought they were the right moves in the moment, and I still think they were the right moves at that time. I mean, it's easy to look back and say it didn't work, so you shouldn't have done that, but. In the moment, you were talking about Russell Westbrook coming off of an MVP triple-double season, and you know there, there were still people that said you can't win with Russ. And again, my point was, let's see how he responds when he gets talent around him. Now that he's kind of reached this level and he gets other players to take some of that weight off his shoulders, let's see how he responds before we just write him off. 
And you know what? The people that said he wasn't going to be that guy were right. He never evolved into a premier team player. And, you know, Carmelo Anthony obviously was was somewhat of a disappointment. Uh, not I, I don't think from a personality standpoint. It just, you know, his his abilities didn't really help this team do anything. Paul George was fantastic while he was here. Uh, but, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it didn't work out at all. But I, I think in the moment, and, and a lot of that was also trying to get Russell Westbrook to stay in Oklahoma City long-term because everybody was panicked after Kevin Durant left that Russell Westbrook was going to follow in his footsteps and go to the Lakers and, and go back home, and you were going to be left with nothing. So, again, I think it was the right move in the moment, and it didn't work out, and we learned that Russell Westbrook is who he is, and, and he didn't evolve, he didn't change his game, and now he's a guy that's probably going to end up with the Hornets and, and averaging 28, 9, and 8, and uh, maybe be an Eastern Conference All-Star, but probably never getting past the first round again. Is it there? Uh, you said the Hornets. I saw one point the Knicks that would were... All, that would also make a ton of sense. I said last Thursday, the two that make the most sense, when you look at teams right now that would be willing to bring him in, that have the room to bring him in, and don't currently have like a point guard that they're building around, and, and also assuming Russell Westbrook wants to play Oklahoma City, Russell Westbrook type of basketball, those are the only two options for me. The Hornets and the Knicks, that's it. Yeah, let's get... Let's let's give Russell a little bit a little bit of credit here. Okay, is he a team player? Okay, that's debatable. Probably not. But Russ knows who he is, <laughs> and Russ is probably the one guy in the NBA, maybe Chris Paul, that has just decided their individual accomplishments alone are are good enough to get them into the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, and he's a Hall of Famer. They don't, yeah, just because they don't have a ring. They're not going to think. They're not going to think anything of their career. So, from a psychological standpoint, they're both probably one up on. You know, let's just say Russ. Russ is one up on Kevin Durant from that standpoint. Um, and uh, Russ is that's an interesting talk because he just cannot handle not being the dude. And, and, yeah. and by and by the dude, the, the complete focal point of everything on the team wants to score, wants to rebound, wants. To, I mean, this is a guy that people he knew during the game where his stats were. I mean, he's admitted that. Yeah. Paul George talked about that. Um, he reminded maybe it was Paul George. He he told him, "Hey, you got a shot to get a triple double, or you can do this." And I don't think it was George didn't just didn't worry about that stuff during the game. But yeah, that's right. And going to going to Houston made him play outside himself, but he found out he didn't like it. So as, as a result, look, give Daryl Morey some credit. He tried something that didn't work. And now he's on to Philadelphia where he can rebuild a team in his own image and work with a guy like Doc Rivers. Those two ought to be a killer combination over the next few years. They, they may be the, the scariest combination in the NBA of coach GM to have together because they're both pretty good judges of talent. They're both, they both seem to have a really good head on their shoulders and you know, they're not, they're not above making drastic moves to make it, to make their, in the interest of making their team better. That there, if you want something to just watch how they play out over the next three years, watch how Philadelphia plays out with those two guys. Now. Well, unless that they, unless they game. decide that That's Ben Simmons isn't going to be the focal point there, I don't think it's, it's moving. It's, well, and that's an easy fix. If you want to keep Ben Simmons around, put him back at the four and leave him there. 
leave him at the four. Your power forward is usually never your focal point of the team. You can find a point guard. You've got a really good five in Joel Embiid. And you're just going to have to pull Ben Simmons aside and say, hey, in, in the next, look, you've been in this league long enough to know. We, you know what your skill sets are. You know what you need to work on. The unfortunate thing for you is you were probably drafted higher than what you should have been. <laughs> and even if, even if we trade you, there is nobody that's going to make you the focal point of the team. That's just not yeah. what your skill set is. Here oh. are the things that you're good at. Here's where you can contribute, and you can make a lot of money, and you can probably win a championship doing these things. Are you willing to sacrifice? He probably would listen to Doc Rivers if Doc Rivers told him that. He signed through 2025, Doc- and, and in the 2025 season, he's going to make $40 million. You know, ugh. Brutal. brutal. Well, and that's what you tell him. Say, hey, look, so you're not the focal point. You're rich. <laughs> you're rich. Right. What do you what your role is you're you are set for life your kids are set for life yikes don't don't worry about being the focal point all right let's talk football we've got bedlam this week it is bedlam week i was fully prepared to do a a bedlam only show yesterday and uh then you know everything basketball related that's gone on in the last week and and obviously chris paul uh that's that's what i think the last two days have now turned into is is very thunder centric but it is Bedlam week. This is a monster matchup. The line has already, I think it came in at t- Oklahoma minus 10. I think uh, at one point, either, I, I can't remember if it was early this morning or last night, it dropped all the way down to Oklahoma minus 5. Now it's at Oklahoma minus 7. But I, I think this is as as intriguing a Bedlam matchup as we've had in a while. It is. And it really comes down to one thing. Oklahoma State has any chance of winning this game. They just have to block. If they can, if they can block, then you're going to get Spencer Sanders enough time to to make Tylen Wallace the MVP of this game. He'll be able to, to make some big plays down the field with Tylen Wallace, and at that point, you can really get that Oklahoma defense back on their heels. If they can't block, not knowing how mixed up Spencer Sanders is, you're going to force him to make plays with his legs, and he might not be able to do that. And certainly, if he doesn't have enough time to throw, then there, there's no chance for Tyler Wallace, Dylan Stoner, or anybody else to have a big day. The other thing for Oklahoma State is you, you need a healthy L.D. Brown if you're going to win this game. Because he has been, in some respects this year, he's been better than Chuba Hubbard. So, for Oklahoma State, it's blocking and health. But if you got those two things, then you got a real shot at winning this game. Because Oklahoma should struggle to score on that Oklahoma State defense. Oklahoma is going to hit some big plays. I mean, that's Oklahoma State gambles. I mean, they they like to play an aggressive style of defense, and that's going to cost them in certain situations. They're going to get home as well. So, yeah, I think that's going to be a really fun matchup, and I think it's going to go back and forth. I think Oklahoma State's certainly going to force punts in this game, but I think Oklahoma is going to hit on big plays as well. Uh, If we just go based on what we've seen over the last three or four football games, with Oklahoma's defensive line and Oklahoma State's offensive line, I just don't know how you how anybody can comfortably say I expect that Oklahoma State's offensive line is going to prevent that front four from Oklahoma from dominating the line of scrimmage. They're not, um, and, and that that's the big problem. That that's where that's where Spencer Sanders has got to be healthy because he's going to have to not only run 
for probably 100 yards in order to win this game, he's going to have to be able to make throws on the run. He's going to have to be able to stretch play. So getting him healthy and then hopefully the bye week helps and hopefully the rest of this year or hopefully the, the rest of this week, he's that, that ankle's in good enough shape where he can, where he can move. If not, it's pretty much over. You're talking about OU being able to make big plays, but here's the thing about OSU, and this is redundant, but I say this every week when we talk about it. They do a really good job in the red zone. After giving up big plays, they do a really good job of recovery. So, yeah, if OU can make big plays and they keep them out of the end zone and sort of put the game on, on Dave, oh, it's Burkich's, Burkich's foot, then you're going then you're going to be able to hang around. It's a big thing with Oklahoma State is, is that if you're an Oklahoma State fan, you've got to be. This is almost sitting up to be. It's almost sitting up to be like the Texas game, where you just think they're going to be one too many mistakes, or OU's too good in the defensive line, and you're not going to be able to make enough plays, or or you're going to put the defense in, in, in bad enough positions where where eventually they just break like they did versus Texas. I mean, they, they can only – you can only end up in the red zone so many times and keep people out of the end zone for so long. Yeah. And, and eventually OU is too good for them, you know, not, not to overcome that stuff. Well, defending short fields, uh, you know, time of possession, I, I think those are both things that have to be worrisome for the Oklahoma State defense. Again, I, I think it's one of the best defenses in college football – but if you're having to defend on your side of the field all day, if you're on the football field more than your offense, I mean, those are both things that can prevent you from being at your best. Not to mention, again, Oklahoma's very talented offensively. Uh, and, and, you know, Spencer Rattler has been considerably better since the Texas game. I, I, they're going to hit big plays. There's no doubt in my mind. Again, and some of that is just o- Oklahoma State understands that. That's the way they play. They take some chances. They like to send a lot of pressure. And sometimes they're not going to get home and, and you're going to be able to, you know, Brees Hall had a couple of big plays against them. But for the most part, they kept him in check. Uh, I think the same thing is going to happen here. I think Oklahoma State's going to have plenty of possessions where they do well. But there's going to be plenty of possessions where, you know, Oklahoma figures out where the pressure is coming from and makes the right play. And, and there's too many playmakers to not make some of those big plays that are out there to be made. But, man, it just the front four from Oklahoma has been so good. And every time I've watched Oklahoma State offensively this year, I, I, I'm just I'm baffled by how I wanted to say average, but I, I don't even feel like that's accurate I, by how bad it's been. They they just struggle to yeah. even get first downs at times. They do. I mean, and it's not and it's not just the offensive line. There is something going on with Chuba Hubbard where you just haven't seen him be as good as as he as he was last year. Um, Spencer Sanders, I mean, we talked about this before. The decision-making is back to where it was at the beginning of last year, not where it was at the end of last year. And you've probably, in a sense, Colby, they've probably gotten too comfortable with the defense winning ball games for them. I mean, how many... You know, how many games this year has the defense not come up with some big plays to put the offense in, in a position where, where they can go score? And that – you do that in Bedlam, and you and you ruin your shot at getting to the Big 12 championship, that can turn the worm real quick because eventually the defense is going to start pointing fingers at the offense if they can't if they can't help them out. We've seen, we've seen that happen before. The offense has 
got to start making plays. Unfortunately, you're playing in a game where OU's defense has gotten a lot better over the last three weeks. Uh, talent-wise, they're a lot better. This is this is the this is the worst game in the world for their offense to get back on track, and they're probably not going to do it this week. But to show a little bit of signs of life, and, and maybe you can get things turned around over the next three weeks after that, because you're certainly playing a bunch of winnable games on the schedule. I mean, you beat OU. There's no reason you sh- you shouldn't win out, even if you lose to OU. There's no reason you shouldn't win out, and, and maybe that calms things down in the locker room, but. My gosh, this is such a weighty game for them. They've got so much riding on this game. Whereas if OU loses and doesn't make it to the Big 12 championship, everybody that covers the Big 12, everybody that covers OU, every OU fan, everybody in that program is pretty confident they're going to get back there the next year and the year after that. You can't say the same at OSU. This is it. This is your chance. And there is no margin for error whatsoever can they can Spencer Sanders handle that kind of pressure? Can Mike Gundy handle that kind of pressure? There are people that think Mike Gundy can't handle that pressure. And I mean, there are people, Eric, that pick Oklahoma to win this game simply because Mike Gundy can't handle the bedlam pressure, right? Yeah, right. And, and what has he been telling his team over the last two weeks? What has the message been? Has he been trying to take the pressure off and keep them loose? Just another game, or? Yeah, or is he just, or is he throwing it all on their shoulders, saying, "This is it. Go out and do it." I think you have to. <laughs> you understand what's at stake, and and you made a a great point. I mean, for Oklahoma, the expectation is that you're in this position every single year, and and look, the Gundy defenders will even say. Oklahoma's expected to be in that position every year. Oklahoma State has to kind of work toward being in that position maybe once every three, four, five years, right? Like, you you kind of have to cycle through a couple of classes and have a veteran-type team to, to be in that position. And when you miss those opportunities, I think it's it's an even bigger bad check mark, you know, on, on the resume. It's the, I think there's a ton of pressure on Oklahoma State here. And I was I was saying this last week. If you go back to the beginning of the season and you told me Oklahoma was going to lose their first two conference games, and the Oklahoma State Cowboys were going to have the best defense that you've ever seen in the history of the school, like there is no reason they shouldn't win a conference title, right? Like, and here None. we are, and here we are, going into Bedlam where they they are potentially eliminated from even making the game. There are very few years we're going in. We're going into the year you would ever say Oklahoma State might have the best twenty-two, the best starting twenty-two in the Big Twelve, and that's what we all kind of thought going into this, or that, or that argument at least to be made at the beginning of this season. And now you're you're in a position where you. you the good thing is, is you still control your own destiny. You're a 10-point underdog this week, or at least you started out as a 10-point underdog. It may be down to nine now. I've got but seven right now even, on Bavada. Oh, wow. A lot of people bet in Oklahoma State then. Um, you still control your own destiny. What, do you, what are you going to do with it? And for, for Gundy, look, I've always defended my Gundy. I think at times I thought he was the best coach, best recruiter, best talent, you know, best talent developer. 
in the Big 12. It's going to be harder and harder to make that argument if they go out and lose Saturday and lose convincingly. Because I've always praised him for being able to, to go under rocks and get kids that were maybe overlooked by OU or Texas or other programs, kids that we know are going to be really good, kids like Trace Ford that he, he just develops and makes them better. And I've always argued that I don't think necessarily Lincoln Riley takes, you know, five-star kids and makes them really any better than what they were when they came in. They just, you know, their talent is just taking over. But it's going to be so hard for me to say that if OSU goes out and, and gets stomped in this game. And quite frankly, Colby, I don't feel good about Oklahoma State in this game. I, I don't, don't, I don't know. either. I don't. There, it is. Now, as it's gotten closer, it was it was the Texas game. It's lack of offense, but I mean, realistically, you can't fix an offensive line this late in the season. They can either block or they can't, and it just it, it kind of feels like it's you know going to be same old, same old. And at the end of the day, we'll talk about another OU win in Bedlam, and then Oklahoma State will be in position where they're going to need help to get into the Big 12 championship. And if they do, most likely they're playing OU again, which certainly is not going to bode well at that moment. I mean, your, your, your best shot is not only winning this game and eliminating OU from that matchup, but sending yourself to replay an, an Iowa State or a Kansas State team that you've already beaten. And it just feels like it's just going to slip right through their fingers again. It just feels that way right now. Doesn't it um, feel like hate, there's more I, pressure on Oklahoma State in this game? And and it's wild to say that because they're the betting underdog. Like it's it, to me it's it's a weird situation when the betting underdog feels like they have more pressure to win the game. And and that's kind of the way that this thing has set up when you consider the way that Oklahoma season started, the fact that Oklahoma has so many young players on both sides of the ball, that Oklahoma State coming into the year on both sides of the ball had so many veterans, so much experience. This was the year where it was all going to kind of line up for them to, to take control of this league, at least for 2020. And here we are, even with Oklahoma State having a better record uh, in conference play and overall, and they're the betting underdog, but it feels like there is significantly more pressure on the Cowboys to get this done. Oh, there is. There, 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 there's, there's, there's not a doubt. There, there's not a doubt about that. And it, when you, you know, at the beginning of the season, there were those that tried. Well, the beginning of the season, there were those that tried to warn us: don't pick them, don't, don't, don't pick them. You know, they, they have got to prove that they can do this before you get that confidence. And it was like, well, but here's the deal. There are very few years that both OU and Texas are down at the same time, and it looks like that could possibly be this year. Oklahoma may not be as good. Every other program in the Big 12 and and Oklahoma State are all right about the same level, and Oklahoma State seems to be better than them. Yeah, this is setting up for them to have a big year. Playoffs are not out of the realm of possibility because – it, it, it's one of those rare years where everything just sets up for them. So no, 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 this shouldn't be talked about. They should be feeling the pressure. It should be there for the taking. And apparently it's just not something that that program can handle, which is sad because it should be, it, it should be to the point right now where, where they can kind of handle that pressure. Even though those aren't the regular expectations, this is the kind of you know, there are years where they sh- where they should be able to step up and say we're good enough to do this, and 
right. you know, it, right. it, it really, it's a mental thing. It's a mental thing with him, Colby. Yeah. And it's a mental thing that's not just with Mike Gundy. It goes back years and years and years of them being second-class citizens, of the, the, the school itself not putting enough emphasis on football and and giving money to the other sports to create the illusion that you can compete with Oklahoma when the only thing that matters is football. And had there been that focus on football going all the way back, you know, past, you know, after the Bob Fenimore days, then maybe Oklahoma State doesn't shrink in these kind of moments. Maybe they're a little bit more built like, say, an Auburn or a Michigan State. But this goes back to to just the the past administrations at Oklahoma State not having enough confidence in the football program and seeing what OU did that they just kind of, you know, they let it be what it is. And now that you've got people, Mike Gundy, that want to see it get to another level, they're still having to overcome ghosts and, and mentality of the past. And quite frankly, I'll tell you, as soon as Mike Holder is out of there, Oklahoma State has a much better shot of being like a Michigan State, like an Auburn, than what they do right now. Now, and and yeah, because you get somebody that understands football, I think Oklahoma State improves improves markedly, markedly over the over the next few years, and becomes that third program in the Big Twelve. But you're gonna have to get Mike Holder out of there in order for it to happen. What type of game do you think Gundy? goes with in this thing because I, I you know I, I think that that's also kind of a split conversation I've heard people say that you trust the defense and you you go conservative and and don't put yourself in position to beat yourself uh, because that defense is so good and then you know the other thought is you're the underdog you're on the road uh, you had these giant expectations that are one game away from completely disappearing into thin air you've got to let it all ride in this game so um you know, again, it, it's such a weird dynamic in this specific season, given all the elements where I, I think there's something to both sides of that. Well, you can't play conservative. You can't block. I, if you, if you can't block, then neither Hubbard or, or LD Brown or anybody is going to be able to, to play a grind out game and keep OU's offense off the field. I mean, and then that's just, that's just it. So you're going to have to – the way you're going to have to win this is the way that Oklahoma State has to win every ball game. you got to come out throwing the ball. Short, intermediate passes, get the ball out of Spencer Sanders' hands quick, and you have got to put the ball in the hands of your receivers, your, your cowboy back, Agreed. and your running back to make plays after the catch. I say this every week. Which can Oklahoma happen State. against and Oklahoma's, you know, back seven. Yes, yes. So, I said this every week about Oklahoma State, and until I can see that offensive line block on a consistent basis, that is how you have to win every single game, not just OU, but anybody you play. Because right now, I mean, forget how good OU's defensive line has become, which maybe, which either is the strength or, or one of the top two strengths of, uh, of the OU team, uh, of, of OU's football team, everybody's defensive line gives OSU problems. So that's how you have to win every week. Nothing changes about that. And that those are the kind of plays that Casey Dunn is going to have to call him. Once you build Spencer Sanders' confidence, again, redundant, sorry about this, then he can get into a rhythm. I mean, 
you can't, it's impossible to go completely conservative and grind it out. It just, Oklahoma State cannot do that. That's not what their strength is. And then you always put the game in the hands of your defense because Colby, they are good for at least, uh, at least three big plays throughout this game. Agreed. If I yeah, if I had to win the game with one group or the other, I'm I'm absolutely picking the defense. Yeah, I mean they're good enough for a turnover, a sack, a stop on third down to force a punt. They're good for for at least yeah. three big plays a game. That I don't, I don't three think big you want to. Game... I was just going to say I don't think you want to manage this game where you're depending on them to do that for sixty minutes. Because I think that's no. that's how you get beat, and that's how you wear that group out. But if if you're talking about just one scenario where the game is on the line, and you're picking, you know, whether you want the offense to risk it or the defense to risk it, I would feel safer betting on the defense. But again, I think over the course of sixty minutes, you have to take some chances offensively. You can't just rely on the defense over the course of of four entire quarters. So uh, there there's there's kind of two sides to that sword. If you, if you get what I'm saying. But, yeah, if the game's on the line, give me the defense. Well, and and the other thing that they're going to have to do is, I mean, Casey Dunn, I mean, if you're able to make a big play on, on first down, you got a second and three, a second and two. Those are great downs to, 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 to go for a big play and then make it up on, on, make it up on third down in, sh- in a short yardage situation. And – you you're gonna have you need to put Kylan Wallace in position where he can just torch those OU defensive backs. He's your best weapon. Use him. Use him. Use him. Use him. And I, you got to be aggressive and, and defense and defensively. I keep OU in third and long. Now that's not a guarantee. And I I always say with, with OU field position and down and distance really don't matter. Lincoln Riley's going to do what he does. And when you got a quarterback like Spencer Rattler and good enough receivers that they got, you know, third and seven, uh, third and seven with OU seems like it's it's third and thirty-two with OU. I mean, it just you, you always feel like that big that big play is coming. But you know, mentally for for OSU's defense, this is going to be a big test because if OU gets a few of those big plays early, do they wear down? Do they get their sword broken? And so far this year, they haven't. They have played tremendously. They know they are the strength of this team. But if, if Spencer Rattler shows signs early of being able to have success on them where others haven't on a more consistent basis, that could wear them down. That could eventually send them to the sidelines and, and, and give bad body language. But, yeah, you're Mike Gundy. You really don't have a, you don't have a choice. You've got to put it in the defensive hands to win. You just do. Given what we know today, and and assuming that you know there's not going to be any situations where key players end up not being available or anything like that, it's currently Oklahoma minus seven, and the over under is fifty nine. Thoughts on those two things? I uh, don't like the over. Well, let me see the over. Ah, the actually the over is probably not bad. Um, I'm thinking it's like a twenty four twenty one game, twenty four seventeen. 28-24. I think the lower scoring bedlam than we've seen. Well, I, well, last year was thirty-four to sixteen, so last year wasn't exactly a score fest. But right. I think it's a it's a game that could come down to the last to the last couple of possessions. So it's going to be a lower scoring game. Um, I would pick OSU to cover. I think it's going to be closer than that seven, but ultimately, I think OU wins. 
and, and what I'm seeing out of OU over these last few weeks is they're just built for these moments, and I'm not sure Oklahoma State is. And it would be better for the Big 12 if Oklahoma State not only won this game, but won the conference and maybe gave the, the selection committee something to consider, not just this year, but in future years, that the conference is a little bit deeper than what they gave it credit for. But, you know, at, at this point, Colby, I would not only say OU wins, but they get to the Big 12 championship game and they ultimately end up winning the conference and it's OU and everybody else. Yeah. I Look, I, I just, my biggest, again, separator here is unless, which, and, and this is very possible, but unless the Oklahoma State defense either on multiple occasions Saturday gives the offense short fields or even scores a defensive touchdown themselves, I have a hard time seeing them get to like 27 or 28 points. Yeah. Given, given the mismatch right now that it looks like there is on, on the line of scrimmage with Oklahoma's front four against a, a, an injured and struggling offensive line. Like, you know, I, I had somebody the other day, like say they're not bad. They're injured. Well, I mean, both are true. <laughs> they are. They're, they're injured, um, another guess. and because of that, they're they're bad. I mean, they're they're not. That's not a good group. I mean, I I, I don't well, necessarily have to qualify that, but I, you know, that's an understood. I think. Yeah, and and another guy that that really needs to to, to be a kind of a factor in this game, and and Pat Pat Jones disagrees with me on this. Brennan Presley's going to have to come up big if Oklahoma State's got a shot, um, either on offense or in special teams. That kid's going to need to make a big play. I, I think if Oklahoma State's going to win, he is I, I kind of the even... guy that I'm looking. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, he's kind of the guy that I, I, I've got circled. Um, a guy that can have the ball in his hands and make a big play defensively. Uh, well, one, is Kobe Harbell Peel going to play this game? God, they need him back. Yeah. Um, and can Trace Ford put some pressure on Spencer Rattler? I mean, you know what you you know, issues defense put some pressure on Spencer Rattler, but Brendan Presley's kind of a guy I'm, I'm circling at is, and you win, win this, you need something out of him. You need something out of him on Saturday. I completely agree, and and I was going to add to that. A- another reason it's so frustrating, I think, to watch the Oklahoma State offense, it's not just Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace, although those guys you know, are, are award-winning type of, of skill position players. They're NFL type of guys, but you mentioned Presley, uh, Landon Wolf, Dylan Stoner, Jelani Woods. I mean, they have a lot of skill position guys that I think in one-on-one matchups in this game on Saturday could make big plays and game-changing type plays. I just don't know that they'll get the opportunity to do that with, with what Oklahoma State is currently doing at the line of scrimmage. But yeah, I, no, I think there I... are... I, I love... Oklahoma State's matchup as far as pass catchers against linebackers and secondary players from the Sooners, but I just don't know that the Cowboys are going to be in situations to take advantage of that with uh, from a time standpoint, I guess. No. It, well, I mean, if you can get into the red zone and, and, and yeah. let's say the offensive line and, and, and Sanders are having a good day, then maybe we get to see Jelani Woods make, make some plays in the red zone. It'd be really nice to see him be a big factor there, but you know, it seems like when we're talking with Oklahoma State, it's just so much ifs and buts going yeah. into this game. And with, with OU, even though their skill position players aren't as good, and, o, and, 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 and I like the matchup for OSU's defensive backs versus OU's receivers, I just I think mentally going into this game, and it's just been so 
don't know, so kiddish, but OU believes they're going to win this game. OSU is hoping to win this game, and that that's the biggest difference right now. Yeah. And for and for OSU to believe they can win it, things have to happen throughout the game that give them that ray of hope. They have to feel they have to feel it kind of turn. But just stepping onto the field on Saturday, there's no doubt in my mind that OU is is the more confident of the of the two teams. Yeah. No doubt about it at all. Agreed, man. Agreed. All right, my friend, I will let you run. Always appreciate it. Uh, great conversation, by the way. I, I, I enjoyed uh, digging a little deeper into the Thunder stuff and uh, certainly Bedlam, which uh, is, you know, Saturday is just going to be, again, I, I, I can't wait. I think it's going to be a really fun matchup. Um, I, I see a big separator here, but if, if Oklahoma State can figure out a way to maybe mask that a little bit, this is going to be a lot of fun. But uh, always appreciate it, my friend. Well, thank you very much, Colby. I, I greatly appreciate you. Uh, you let me ramble on. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun talking about the Thunder. The NBA, just remember, it's our soap opera. And I am the 64-year-old lady who cannot get enough of her story. Give so me my stories. anytime you want to talk to me. <laughs> Give me my story. Your weather Everybody coverage is covering up my stories. Come on. <laughs> What I say when when ESPN doesn't show up NBA news yes. every week. Yeah. Well, hey, look. I, over the next month, you're about to have all you can handle with with free agency and the draft in this short little window, and and the urgency to get all this done before training camp. I, I think you're uh, you're in store for a lot of fun stories. No, it should, it should be good. The NBA always creates some good drama, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again, Eric G. Joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. I'm a customer. Uh, I believe in, in what they're doing. They're great people. They do great things within the community, and they're all about helping people live better lives. So again, check out their line of natural medicine products, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. If you want to hit me up, you can do so on Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels or Instagram Colby.Daniels. Always appreciate you guys. It's a big week. Aaron Davis is going to join me tomorrow. More Bedlam conversation. We'll also preview the NBA draft, which is Wednesday night. Thunder with a couple picks. We'll see if they end up moving up into the lottery perhaps, but uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. What a huge sports week this is, and I can't wait for Saturday. Once again, two hours before kickoff, Mike Steely and I have pregame coverage, and I'll tweet that link at Colby underscore Daniels. All right, everybody stay safe, have a great day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Okay. <laughs>